Hey, welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. Uh, got your usual crew here. I'm Paul Gillette. Got Christopher Palomares and, of course, New England's own uh, James Lincoln. Is it cold up there, Jimmy? No, 60s. Oh, really? How about you, Chris? Uh, it's, it was cold last night, but it's, oh, been, yeah. it's been a little bit nicer today. The sun's out, clouds are gone, and nice blue sky. So, oh. But that's only temporary. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know that. Supposed to, it's supposed to get supposed to We're get rain. We're pushing forty degrees last night here on the swamp. <laughs> really? Okay. Nice. Yes. That last cold front came through. The one that uh, brought all the rain and everything to the east coast. Uh, I was watching, you know, college game day yesterday morning, and because they were at uh, Penn State's uh, stadium, it was spitting snow. And, of course, these guys are outdoors. They do have a screen there, and they've got heaters blowing up around their feet and their legs and stuff. But I went, you could see the, the condensation off their breath and stuff. And I went, I hope you're wearing long underwear, guys, because that has got to be cold. What I, I got involved, we had some out-of-town company, and he's a model railroader that I knew in Phoenix. And so my wife goes, well, Kevin will want to see the, the train room. And I said, oh, crap, I need to go up there and straighten this up a little bit. Otherwise, he's going to be walking and see nothing but clutter and distraction. So tidied up, shoved everything in a closet. And after they left, I thought, you know, I need to reorganize. So I do not keep my stuff in factory boxes. I jettison and I put them in Axion boxes. I've got like, I don't know, three dozen Axiom boxes and about two dozen Proto boxes. And as I've worked on the railroad and periodically put a train or two on to run, I don't remember where the cars came from. And so I had like 30 cars and strung around this layout. And I go on, I've got to redo this. And so I had handwritten on the boxes and I went, I'm going to print out labels. I mean, obsessive compulsive behavior took over. And some of them were easy enough to fix. I mean, if it said grain cars on it, it meant that it was all, you know, generally atherin grain cars. Okay. Uh, So those were just a matter of printing up the labels, then cutting it out putting the labels on the box and I would carry the boxes into the garage and spray paint over the old magic marker where I'd put it on there in different styles. Everything got new labels. And well, cause you know, whenever you put labels on anything, they automatically, they automatically Even if you don't what? put the stuff away, they're yeah. automatically more organized. Right? <laughs> yes. So there was just a lot of wasted space. So all of a sudden the homeless fleet starts going down. And so I keep working my way through it. And I had cars, for instance, uh, McMartin had made some beautiful F-89 flat cars and you could buy pipe loads for them. Uh, Oh, yeah, those. Oh, beautiful cars. But laying in the Axion box, that would shift the pipe. It would gradually break the adhesive free and... Mm. So I went, okay, I need to buy more 
deep well A-line boxes. Because what I do is on that, I took the pipe loads and put a little dab of uh, acrylic silicone on each end, just enough that would fit in the center of the cross brace so you wouldn't see it. Set it aside, let it cure the next day. I can pick up the whole car just by the pipe. So I had been doing that with my intermodal cars. If I take my F89 flats and I put the hitches on, then I determine which trailer is going there. And I'll put just a dab, and I mean small dab, on the kingpin where it's going to engage the hitch. And then on the rear wheels, again, on the very bottom, dab on the inside tire, another dab on the other side. Carefully place them on the car. Make sure the dabs go down. You can't see it. Again, an overnight cure. I can pick that entire car up, move it, set it on the track, put it in and out of the box. Oh, good. I take the containers, take them apart, put an extra ounce of weight on the bottom, two dabs of silicone, put the top container on, a dab of silicone, say if it's a Gunderson or just anybody else's well on the bottom, again, you can't see it, put it there, let it cure overnight. Now I can pick those cars up, carry them and put them away. So like I said, this took on a life of its own. My wife was here last week and she goes, are you still rearranging? <laughs> I said, yes. And she'd see me go by with boxes to the garage to spray paint over the old lettering and she'd hear the printer going as I was printing new labels. But once I got done, it was just, you could walk in and it wasn't distracting because everything was lined up. It had, I grouped stuff like here's all transitional boxes. Here's modern era. Here's passenger cars. And I found cars I'd never even taken out of the box. They were hidden in the back of the closet. No kidding. Couple, <laughs> couple sets of Atherin ready to run. One was a five-unit set of wells. Chris, when you guys brought these out, I think in 2014 is when I got it. These are Maris cars, and they're pre-faded. Oh, the Maxis. Yeah. Yes. Oh, they're beautiful. You got the S-Metal runways on them and so forth? Yeah. So I went to Walther's the other day. The local hobby shop didn't have anything. So I went to Walther's. They had all kinds of 20, 40, and 48-foot containers on sale. So I bought like $130 worth of whatever was on sale <laughs> to start filling up these flats because I took my own inventory, and I've got probably 20 extra 53-foot containers. Some of them are on the Atherin container frame. And this and that, which I have no place for them. I'm probably going to sell them unless one of you guys need them. Tell me what it is and I'll send it to you. But <laughs> so I've had to buy this stuff. Then I found another box, two boxes of the Atherin uh, spine cars. Oh, ready the to run. Beautiful cars. Right. And so this stuff's been initially weathered, but, you know, those I had trailers for. So they got silicone set aside. I bought four of the uh, A-line boxes. And interesting thing, like I said, I already had 20 some of these boxes. So I know that 
there's a right way to put them together and there's a wrong way to put them together or a frustrating way to put them together. Couldn't get these boxes together. And some of it was, it's like the line where they put the perforations to, to break the skin coat to me looked like they were out of place. So I just dropped a note to Alon and I said, look, here's what I experienced on this four pack. I said, did you make changes to the dye or whatever? And Delia sends me an email back. He says, no, we've not done anything to the tooling. Can you send me some photos? So I did. And you know, I showed him, I said, look how the corner is not fitting. So I got, I said, look, I'm not angry. I've already ordered more of these. I'm just passing it on the problems I had. Because I know Axion, at least one time when I was in an affair with trains, delivered boxes because they're a Phoenix company. And two days later, they came back and picked them all up. They said, there's bad cardboard there. It wasn't oriented right when it went through the tooling. So it's not going to, they won't stay together right. So I know, hmm. yeah, sometimes you can get a collateral issue and it's not a tooling issue. Right. So when I got the new ones yesterday, this time, besides pre-bending, which you should do, I bend it both ways. If it's going to bend right to left, I also bend it left to right to make sure that that seam was flexible. And it made a big difference by double bending. They went together a lot easier. So one of them's full of Athern 60-foot tank cars because you can't put that beautiful tank car of yours in an Acton box because that platform hand railing, which is so delicate, which is why it looks so good, gets misshapen by the way it fits in the Axion box. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I found that out the hard way. I bet you did. <laughs> and so, yeah, things like anybody's, oh, high cube boxes, auto carriers, uh, auto boxes, that stuff. They really do better in one of these high-sided A-line boxes. They're not cheap. You, you buy it once. These, all this stuff, all the cars were shipped in these Axion boxes and proto boxes when we left Phoenix to come to New Orleans. The only thing I did was I showed the guy, look, this is up. I opened yeah. the box. I said, see all these highly detailed, delicate cars in here? <laughs> this is up. Do not turn them on their side. Do not turn them on edge. And we had used this moving crew three times for three interstate moves. And so I knew Bob and his crew. And so they did. They wrapped them and put out the arrows on them so that they did not get turned sideways and just explained. I said, oh, and by the way, top load them. <laughs> These are not load-bearing boxes. And nothing was broken. No details oh, were dislodged. So... Now the room, like I say, because I'm going to buy curtains, little two foot, put them on rods with big rings and just in black hides all this stuff down here. But it's, it's good looking. And like I said, I found stuff I'd forgotten I had because it was still tucked in the closet. So it's, it's amazing. So Chris, I want to talk about remotoring. Have you gotten further along on your on your video series? Um, I haven't. I've had a quite a, a time suck on my okay. on my side here with uh, stuff going on for Athern. As you can see, the 
UP uh, Spirit Locomotive was re- announced and yeah, also getting ready for Train Fest and getting everything all set up for that just annihilated any of my spare time. But <laughs> um, I've been kind of like digging around on some Proto 2000 stuff of my own and one of them. I think this has been kind of a common issue out there, and uh, I'm sure that you know some of our listeners might have run into it that have purchased Pro 2000 locomotives specific to the GP9 uh, with the splitting axle gears and some other things. So I, I actually had a GP9 with a bad motor in it, um, and it's pretty much a clone of the Athern motor. So the gears started turning a little bit, and I was just like, well, maybe I should try putting a a Kata motor and a Pro 2000 here and also see about, you know, different ways forward for correcting the splitting gear issue, you know, and some of them will be a lot more difficult than others. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just presenting like a few different ways forward with it and let the modeler pick uh, which he likes better pretty much. Um, I'm going to try all three. I figure it's worth it, you know, to, trying to figure out how to, how to handle these things for, you know, I, I know there's thousands of these things out there, you know? Well, I found a couple videos where guys took the older, like the lifelike vintage protos and other models of proto, not just ease to do remotering using the RTR motor. Oh, okay. And the neat thing about, the basic uh, old style mount, motor mounts on the some of the Kato motors, they fit right in the four holes in the fuel tank. I know, Just isn't that nice? It, yes, and yeah, you can always use tape. There's weights, the motor mounts, all that stuff. But I went, golly, if I can just get that older style motor mount that drops right in, and they give you the screws, I thought, why create work? Yeah, definitely. I had, uh, this goes back several months ago. I had put a select direct into a Proto 2000 E unit. Uh-huh. And it seemed like it was fighting, fighting. So I took it apart, pulled the trucks, and had to replace two of the axles because they were split. So that was giving me a little bind. Put it back on, and it still didn't free up the running. In fact, fried the decoder. Ooh. Fried it. So I just set that aside. And so the other day, I pull out. A, a gentleman had come into an affair with trains, needed to sell some of his trains, and Bob Bottoman. Amongst those were an AB set of E8s in Union Pacific. Mm-hmm. And I was building a UP train. Oh, perfect. And just like on the Heritage E in real life, there's no, the headlight is in the nose, it's not in the door. Right. So, so there's no gyro light. This E was like that. And I went, oh, this is great. So they've been sitting there since late 2014 or wherever. So I got them out the other day and started looking at the wheels and went back to the, locomotive that had fried the decoder pulled it out because i thought i had corrected the the split gears but no there were more split gears so i'd purchased i don't know 
two or three sets of the Walther's replacement geared axles specifically for the older E's. Uh-huh. Somebody somebody had told me that I could use the Atherin wheels with the gears. And so I'm looking at this. So I put in the Atherin set and I'm just rolling it here with my hand on test track and there's a lot of binding. So I look at the gears, I pull them out and I'm going, that gear looks different than the split gear on that I just took out. So I put a mark and I counted the teeth on the gear. The Atherin's got one more tooth than the original Proto. Ah. So that's not going to work. No, that won't. (laughs) So I got in the new axles and I put them on and it still ran stiff. So I go, what the heck is this? So I pulled the frame and everything off. You know, the side frame and uh, end pieces, you just flex it. Let the axles come out of the floating bearing caps. And there's two pins on the side. And you just lift it over the top of the truck. Then on the inside, on the older trucks, there is a black plastic secondary piece, one on each side, that has all the brake detail on it. Right. So I've got it under the magnifier. And I'm going, oh, there's the problem. These molded brakes are dragging against the wheels. Oh. And so I take out my uh, spruce snips because I got a real fine tip on them. And I snip, snip, snip. I'm just cutting the extreme edges. I pull it off so I can do that. And then I take a rat tail file because there's burrs on it. And I just, just kind of kiss each one of them on both sides, put it all back together, leave the side frames off. But all of a sudden, this thing is just rolling as nice as it can be. Oh, good. So I lube everything, put on the main truck assembly casting, get it down in. And of course, the axle's rubbing inside that bearing. So put a little plastic compatible uh, never stall in there because it's got graphite in it. And all of a sudden, these trucks run just like freewheeling. Mm-hmm. So I've got four of them done, which will, when these uh, Cato motors come in this week and the drive shafts show up, I'll be able to put them together. I still don't have the decoders, but at least I can test run them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so guys, if you're doing that, the and you're keeping, especially if you're keeping the original Walther's motor, I remember Bruce Petrarca told me, he said, look, he said, Life's Like's direction was, we want these locomotives to pull single-handedly, whatever you've got. He said, right. consequently, some of them will draw two amps. So he was telling me in this interview, he said, if you're going to DCC like the old PAs and stuff, he said, you might want to remotor first. (laughs) He said, so you don't fry. Now, if I understood George correctly, the new Tsunami 2 can live at two amps, right? Yeah. So that would be a safeguard. But, you know, as we've discussed before, that Kato motor is just very sweet. So... You know, it, it really is. 
Well, and you know, I did. I found some other videos on there where guys had used the new ready-to-run version of the of the Atherin motor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and got great results out of it. You know, uh, had a lot of positive feedback on the SD thirty-eights and thirty-nines that came with the new RTR motor. It has a skew wound, um, you know, armature and stuff like that. Uh, it's balanced. It's a it's a very nice motor than what it was back in the blue box days and yes it'll fit into those old blue box but um the thing at that point is you got to mind the the flywheels because the yeah we've updated everything over to the hex you know uh, universals so uh, it may mean just getting the motor itself and popping off the old flywheels and putting them onto the to a new motor and going that route for an old blue box or looking at doing the Kato motor. And the, one of the reasons I mentioned the Kato motor is you won't have to machine out the old blue box underframe. Uh, some of the bigger cam motors like the Mishima's and the Roco, in order for them to sit a little closer to, um, a little closer so, the, uh, so the, the universals are straight across, will require, you know, machining it out a little bit so the motor can nestle into the um, the frame a little bit more. And the nice thing about the Kato is it doesn't have, it, it's a less, the top and bottom are a little smaller in profile, so yes. it, 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 it automatically sits closer to the underframe. So, I mean, okay. if, if someone is not opposed to doing that and really likes the Mishima and the Roka motors, by all means, they're great motors. Um, use them, you know. So that's just some of my experiences with this. Well, you mentioned something. So if you buy one of these motors without the flywheels, and then you can buy flywheels extra with the hex drive, how do you bond them, secure them to the drive shaft? Um, some of them are a press fit. So, okay. so once you pop them off the shaft, and you'll, you'll need a flywheel puller for that. I think they have them on eBay. Okay. Um, then you can kind of put them back on to a different one using the same flywheel puller. It does both pull and then also seats the, the, the flywheel back onto the shaft. It's a real handy thing to have, especially if you're considering doing a lot of uh, motor conversions. If you're going to be doing a bunch of DCC installs. Okay. Uh, if you're going to go through an old fleet and you have a bunch of blue box stuff that uh, you've spent a lot of time detailing and weathering and you just don't want to get rid of it. Understandable. Uh, I mean, you might consider just getting the, the motor itself from Athern, the, the RTR one and just pulling off the, the, the old flywheels and reseeding them onto the new, um, onto the new RTR motor. And that will immediately, and that's probably the lowest cost way to go, you know, repower install the coder versus you know doing a an extensive thing but if if the locomotive's in for a number of other things and you are considering going all you know close close commentator can motor style you know for some of those old blue box i i'd say a kato might be a little bit easier to do um, just because there's different things already out there that are 3D printed for just a drop install, really. Is there an adhesive? Can you just super glue those things? The the yeah yeah flywheel onto a shaft. 
Absolutely. Um, there's actually something from Loctite that is on the ProtoPower West PPW-Aline.com website. He, okay. he has sort of like a, a flywheel ad- adhesive, which is a, a form of the CN Acrylite type cement. And then just in case listeners aren't aware, you can buy the hex drive shaft A-Line, you know, ProtoPower West makes them, Aethern makes them. You can go to uh, theatherne.com, look under parts. And the thing I like about Atherns, their packages, and there's, oh, must be a dozen different lengths, uh, lengths of shaft. Because yes. you're going to have, you may have one that, you know, got to be an odd one. The ones from A-Line, you can trim and then glue the other end, and it'll fit into the universal. But Chris's boys have the... The big selection. Yeah, now, if you want to have a solid uh, universal, and there may be reasons for that, the 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 trim to fit option is equally viable. Um, I, you know, it, it just depends on how how you feel the most comfortable with. Um, there's a lot of options out there, and um, just knowing how to measure the the universal joint to actually fit into the flywheel and into the the cup that holds the ball is pretty important. I, I, I'm, I'm wanting to do a video showing how to do that in okay. the future, just so you can kind of go through and be armed with knowledge of like, okay, this is what I need to do in order to, to measure that, to, to order from Athern the, the universal light. Like, of course, you know, with A-Line, you don't have to really think about that too much. You just measure, cut, and you're done, you know. Okay. Now, when I was perusing for motors the other day and I was looking for drive shafts. I noticed again at athern.com on the parts tab, mm-hmm. uh, generally you guys have Genesis motors and the RTR motors where you can purchase them there. Correct. That's what I saw. That is correct. Yes. Okay. And on the Cotto motors, you can always, you know, scan eBay or the guy that I've bought three from, his website is uh, H-O Diesel Supply. So that's mm-hmm. all one spelling, www.hodiesellsupply.com. And he has he has other kinds of driveline components on there uh, as well. So, yeah, and it, 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 just to pop in there real quick, uh, Joe just took from... Pro Power West A line. He, I think he's starting to get some Kato motors too for resale. Okay. So he may be another source for them. Okay. That's right. Uh, A line has complete kits you can buy that some have motor mounts. They have the, the uh, driveline components, the motor. He has the uh, mounting pad weights. Yeah. Uh, they have a comprehensive supply. And then again, if you want to know the how-to, you can uh, do a search on YouTube. And I was amazed at how many remotoring videos I came across. Chris sent me a list of, there must have been six on the list you sent me. Yeah. And then I found even more the other day. People remotoring, putting DCC in them. When I'm done with these E's, I'm going to do an additional blog entry as a follow-up to the uh, demon possessed CF7 conversion I did. 
That's amazing how many reads that Scott uh, has received, <laughs> but I think it was a catchy title. But because this is all stuff we're modelers and we do, we run into these things. Yep. Yeah. So why reinvent the wheel if one of our you know compatriots here can uh, document how to save yourself some time and heartbreak on it? That's for sure. Now, Jim, I can't help you out with the Pullman standard boxcar in O scale from Africa. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> yes. Can't help can't help you out with that. Chris, yes. full disclosure. I wasn't gonna say nothing. So. <laughs> well and that's, that's I didn't mean to scratch uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to scrape the scab off the cut. <laughs> yes you did. But I was gonna just say in a Manner of praise to Athern. I had uh, I got an email from Bob, the owner of an affair with trains, the other day. He said, "I've got good news for you." He said, "I will probably be shipping your two Amtrak SDP 40Fs uh, this coming week, plus the uh, Santa Fe Notch Nose version." Mm-hmm. And I bought the ones with the you know, tsunami in them, and I went, "Ah." Oh, Chris has come through. He has just made. <laughs> so, but it is the thing is if you were like really, you know, a buddy and solidarity, <laughs> say, I am not going to accept those until after makes the PS5344. <laughs> I'm just not going to take them. Jim, I tell you what I'll do. And as a, in the spirit of protest, I'll just, Get the box up here and look at them for a while. I won't run them. <laughs> oh, golly. I wasn't well, you know, Jim, there. there is a guy that um, that I, I think showed up to Ken Patterson's. His name was John Tyson. And mm-hmm. this fellow did some extraordinary things with cars, taking them out of, like, S-scale and shrinking them down with the, uh, you know, the latex mold process, shrinking them down to HO. And there is, I, I was reading up on that, and there is a way to expand a mold and make it bigger. So theoretically, we could take the 5344, put it in latex, and then expand it up to O scale. Well, I'll just hold my breath. <laughs> you do that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, if you are sincere, I'd be surprised, but it's no offense. It's theoretically possible, yes. It is. Theoretically possible, but there's always the but. And I'll be waiting for your blog entry on that, Jim, right? Yep. Yeah, that's (laughs) what I figured. I figured that's where it was going. Yeah, I got to admit, though, this is why I'm not no scale, because I can't get that box car either. Well, yeah. Well, once this, uh, you know, once the house project's on, it's so maybe I'll be able to get off my desk and finish that project up, but getting there. What are you doing to your house? Putting on a train room? No, uh, no. Um, it's kind of a long story, but my um, my father is eighty, and yeah. uh, he owns the he owns the house that I'm living in now. But it's a ranch. I live in a, a, it, it's a ranch, and uh, he lived living here now. But it's um, the he lived in a thirty five hundred square foot house. That wow, that's nice. Mom, yeah, uh, he and my mom had, and, but it's too big for him. You know, go up and down the stairs. It's really too big for him now, and you know, I didn't want to deal with it. 
So I said, you know, I know you'll be going. I mean, I don't want to go up on the roof, and I know you will. Uh, and I don't want you going on the roof. It just makes way more sense. Add, you know, add some space onto this house and move over here. So that's what's been going on here. It's just been this long comedy of errors and issues with contractors and, you know, just, you know, cut. we have this, we just had the driveway done. And because it, what it was is, you know, it's an older 50 ranch, had a single, you know, it had a single garage with a breezeway. And so we added 10 feet onto the length of the house, but we also took down the garage and the breezeway and put on a two car garage with a room on the back. So my, uh, what is, I had the room on the back of the garage and dad has the other end of the house. And so the basement is larger and I do have a pretty sizable, decent sized space downstairs for a train room. Okay. Um, so the whole, uh, the aspect of, you know, uh, organizing so that you can find everything. I really, I'd love to have somebody come over and help me do it because it's one of these things I know it needs to be done, but I really don't want to do it. But if somebody's here with you doing it, it's like, ah, a little more, a little moral support for the stuff we really don't want to do. Well, and it goes quicker too. Yeah. You can't really, you can't really have anybody else do it because they're not going to understand how you want it done. And, you know, but you don't want to do it by yourself because dull. Anyway. So yeah, we it's just been a lot of like unwise choice of contractors on my father's point. Oh, no kidding. Uh, we had, Uh-oh. You know, yeah, we had the guy that, um, you know, we have this excavator, excavation contractor who was supposed to have finished, totally finished, covered over the septic last December. Still is. Gosh. You know, he did it when you can get him to work. He does a fantastic job. But he had been going on. Uh, he, in July, he had ripped up the driveway. Well, that was going to have to be done. Anyway, so that's not a problem. He's going to rip up the driveway. He's going to come in, and he was going to have uh, and pave it. You know, finish. You know, finish up the uh, the uh, base work to get to get the thing paved. And this was supposed to be in July, and it had you know wasn't getting done. Wasn't getting done. I mean, he he was supposed to spread the topsoil so that we could have a lawn this year. Well, he didn't get around to doing that. He was supposed to do it in March. Come August, he finally got around to doing it. So we have weeds in the entire yard instead of a lawn. And it, even then, it's not really done. It's just not as gross as it was. And so finally, I was I was actually coming from a workout, and he was going in to where the gym that I go to, and he said, "Oh, hi, Jim." He says, "Oh, don't worry about the driveway." So this is three, four, five weeks, four, three, four weeks ago. And I looked at my father and I said, "You need to find another paving contractor because I'm going to bet you money." He's not going to do it. And then we're going to have a dirt driveway for the entire winter, which means we're going to ruin our snow. You know, it's going to ruin the snowblower. The plow ain't going to be able to do anything because he'll just be plowing dirt into the house. So it's like, you need to get another paving contractor. Well, he went, he got bids and um, got this one paving contractor from town, came in, did it in a day. Put the whole thing done, like, boom. I was here. I was here Friday morning, so I came home from work. I'm here Friday morning, one one thirty p.m. The paving crew was not here; hadn't heard anything. I'm like, yeah. oh man, there was because it was supposed to be here in the morning, supposed to be in the morning. So it's one thirty. I left. When I came home at six p.m., the driveway was done. That's how good these guys were. <laughs> how the other guy? How the original guy do? Did he? Did he take the information well? Did he get upset or what? My father sent him a text message and said, uh, hey, Phil, yeah, it looks like I'm going to be, uh, 
you know, we're going to get somebody to do the paving contract because I'd like you to concentrate on some of the other projects you need to get done around here. Okay. He texted back. He texted back like, like what? The response was, uh, like the septic system that was supposed to be done last year. Oh, wow. The problem is my father paid him. So. Oh. Yeah, didn't pay him for the driveway. Didn't pay him for the driveway. Didn't pay him for the front yard. You know, but he paid him, you know, paid him for the, uh, the septic. So the likelihood is really low. That's going to get finished. So. Yeah. Well, at least your driveway's taken care of. Oh, driveway's absolutely tremendous and gorgeous. I mean, you know, guy came in, they had the machines. I mean, they had, I mean, literally, there was nothing here at 1.30 p.m. And by 5 p.m., they were gone. Wow. Yeah, and this is not a small driveway. Uh, it's not like, you know, you know, one car garage worth, you know, 60 feet long. It's about 60 by 50 by 60. So it's it's a good solid space. And they did it all. I mean, it's just, it's just a tremendously awesome job. The other guy, he said, okay, you know, I'll put a, a base coat down for the winter, and then we'll come back in the spring and finish it. These guys, whole thing. Base coat, top coat, everything's done. Nothing more to think about. So and Sweet. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's that's nice. I I had um, during the summertime while I was laid up, I was doing a lot of the um, brick brick walks and stuff like that. I've been doing some detail work on the inside of the house. I like I um, on my bathroom, I put up a um, a cedar um, stained cedar ceiling, and, and I put up cedar planking on on one wall. And I've got to you know work on a couple of other things. And but I did build some furniture for uh, I built some. Uh, not furniture, but I built a couple of shelving units to put my um, my railroad on. Hopefully, that will work. I have I just haven't had the time to mount everything, make sure everything's level wood and all that other crazy. Well, this guy that paid your driveway, do you think he uh, could do ballasting of an HO track? Yeah. I'd love to hire somebody to do it. I hate doing it. Um, hire me. I'll come down and do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can certainly fix you up with seafood. Interesting. Last last week, I'm I'm kind of I'm trying to lose weight again. I I gained a lot of weight when I was uh, laid up. Yeah. Um, and uh, last week uh, was the first week in my life that the, all I ate salmon, salmon, and salmon tilapia all week. Like that's never happened before. One, I like uh, tilapia. Yeah. But after what I read, I now make sure I'm buying farm raised because tilapia. Yeah, because the natural uh, tilapia, somehow in their processor diet, they can pick up a lot of mercury. So I just make sure it's uh, farm raised. Yeah, same thing with tuna. You shouldn't have a lot of... Yeah. Because uh, they can do a lot of mercury in tuna. So tuna, three, you shouldn't have like a can of tuna. You know, three times a week isn't bad, but much more than three times a week is not really good for you. Well, and... Anyway... A related subject, we were going to, and next, when this current consulting uh, contract my wife is on is over, she said, why don't we move closer to one of the grandkids? And I'm going, look, as long as there's a train room that's bigger than this bedroom I'm in now, I said, I'm a go. And she yep. said, well, I really don't want to leave. I love New Orleans. I love our house, our neighborhood. And I said, well, I do too. But I want to run more than five cars behind a single locomotive around this room. And... I said, you know what we could do? I said, we could go out on the garage and find out what the permits are and build a second story 
over the garage. Oh, so, yeah. you know, got a 25 by 25 room up there, put windows, put a bathroom up there so it could eventually be a guest house or something. I said, but it'll be the train room while we own this house. <laughs> she goes, well, what do you think that would cost? I said, I'm guessing, oh, because it's going to have a separate air conditioning, separate electrical box, water line, sewer lines run. That's uh, probably less than 50. I said, but then there's coating yeah. and all this stuff. And to do it so that it blends with the architectural level of the house. So she's going, I don't know. And I said, well, then we got to move. I got to have a bigger train room. And this is all lighthearted. So some things have changed on one end. And she goes, we may stay here. What do you think? And I said, I need a bigger train room. <laughs> and she said, what if we rented you space? This is on Friday when she got in from, uh, when I picked her up from the airport and we drove back and she goes, I said, I had the same thought today. She says, no kidding. I said, yeah. I said, we go to get a realtor just to look for, and not necessarily in a strip mall, but like up the street, there's a doctor's office and two other businesses there. And one of these rooms is and because they all have i'm just using an example they all have parking they all have you know restrooms in them and all this stuff air conditioning heating and so the other unit is like 25 by 40. And i'm going i could uh i said i could probably uh fill that with trains she said she said well, you know if x y happens she said we'll just stay here and we'll rent a space for you to build your model railroad. I said, sure, especially if it's in the neighborhood. And yeah, that's actually probably, a, you know, the, the, my my first thought of it is what? But as you stop and think about it, finished, finished like you do with the basement. Like you said, it's got a toilet in it. It may have yeah. a little, like a little place for a kitchen. So you've got a, you've got a, uh, what is it, a, a break room. You've got a break room for everybody to run, you know, from running trains. Uh, that's actually a great idea, if you can get it for a good price. Well, I look at what houses rent for in the neighborhood. There are a few rentals. A 2,500-square-foot house in this neighborhood will go for, I don't know, about 3000 a month. But I'm not talking about renting a 3,500-square-foot house for 3000 a month. I'm talking about the odd-sized space attached to this building, this building that's Really too small yeah. for retail or so forth. So we're going <laughs> to, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to talk to our realtor and say, here, tell me what the potential is. Because, you know. You know the, only thing, the only thing that I would say, because uh, I know of some clubs and stuff that mm -hmm. have gone into strip malls and said, oh, yeah. hey, look, if you give us a good price on, you know, it'll look like somebody's here. You know, and then if some somebody, you know, the, the problem with the arrangement was they got really, really, really cheap rent because there's nobody in. Right. You know, there, there's nobody in the place. And the problem with it is if the strip mall looks empty, then people are going to say, ah, that's a horrible place to be. So you want somebody in there. And so so we'll go in there. And then, you know, if you fill the place up, then, you know, we have to leave. You know, if you're going to get somebody who's, you know, if you're going to get somebody who's going to pay you full rent, we totally understand that mm -hmm. we got to go we got to go, but at least it'll look like there's somebody in the mall and you're getting some money, which is better than nothing. And to that exact point, 
when we were looking at North Dallas, you know, like uh, north of the Beltway, Plano's out there and uh, Richardson and a few other places, I Googled Model Railroad Club's Dallas area. And one of them did exactly what you're talking about. They moved into a vacant store in a mall. This is an enclosed mall. Uh, the anchor stores like Macy's, Sears, and so forth are still there, but they got a real good deal on this space. And it would have been like the space where you might have a small, like a, a boutique TJ Maxx, or yeah, but within there. And, but yet, huge, daggone club layout, security. So that idea is excellent. So you're right. So we shall see uh, what happens. I said, okay. But in that being said, you have to find the right. Exactly. Uh, you have to find the right, because a lot of people are going to say, hey, I mean, just like finding hobby shops, the local hobby shop, when I say that, uh, 500 feet away, the owners of that had the idea of you're going to pay retail price because if I give you a discount, then the next person coming in, they might give me full retail. So I can't give, I can't give you the item for any money off because the next person may give me full price. So their attitude was, you know, whatever the price is on it, there is no discount. There is no nothing. You're paying full retail price. Whatever Walter says, the full retail price is, that's what you'll pay. There are no, Right, and they went out of this. Um, you know, they had one employee that tried to put up put stuff up for discounts, and whenever he put stuff up for discounts, sold the the socks off stuff. Yeah, but you'd go in, you'd go in there, and they had model power steam locomotives for full retail price. Yeah, still had them when they went when still had them when they uh, went out of business. Well, it's like the Mike's Train House over in Kenner. The lion's share of what Mike does is large scale, O scale, G scale. I mean, he carries USA Train. I mean, that is not, you know, schlocky stuff. But he has a, a good representation of Walther's, Hathorne, got Cotto in there, and he'll order anything. I'll go in and, Mike, will you order this? Yeah, he said, I got a Walther's order going in, and he'll even discount it. So that's all well and good. Because I thought, you know, depending on, let's just say, in a perfect world, there was a decent space close by. I'm sure I'm not the only model railroader in HO scale in this part of town who would like to have a club. I would, through social media, even some of the local papers, put out and say, hey, if you're interested in forming an HO scale model railroad club in this zip code, this specific locale, please respond. Because the big Crescent, I think it's called Crescent City Model Railroad Club, is probably a 25-mile drive or 25, 30-minute drive for me. And I've gone to their website, looked at videos and stuff, and I'm thinking, wow, that's a trek. So I thought, golly, there's got to be other people. Otherwise, I'd do it myself, you know? Yeah, and, and the trick. You know, I was a member of one club, and the problem is, as as my opinion of clubs, and no offense to any, no no offense to anybody, is that you know you have a wide, you can end up having a wide range of ability levels. Of what? And of ability levels, and and a couple of things will happen. Either you'll get stuck if you're particularly good at something, you'll get stuck with doing all of it, or you'll come in, do something because I had this happen, 
you do something, you put a lot of work into something, and somebody else comes in who has no clue, wrecks it. I had that. I had that happen to me, and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I know, I know the club is. I know the club is less, than, you know, about 500 feet away from me, but I ain't going. I got other things to do with my time. So, and that can happen, you know. And then there's, you know, club politics. You know, they're paying money. I mean, they're paying money, so they. I mean, it's like. Okay, I, I totally understand. Every everybody should have a, a say, and they should be able to do what they want. They should be able to have fun, but it's it's something to do with the club dynamic. Well, when I built that railroad for Bob at the interfair with trains, people would come in and look, and well, how do you do that? Well, I will show you how to do this. If you want to volunteer to help in what we're doing, you know this this phase is whatever, then you get operation rights on the railroad proportionate mm-hmm. to how much time. So we had people volunteering. You know, I'd show them how to make super trees or to take cheap conifers and modify and make them look more real. Here's how you lay ballast. You know, somebody else would help do that. Here's how we're wiring this. Here's how, whatever it was. And okay, yeah, next week, if you want to bring some of your cars in and locomotive and run when we're done, have at it. And they were just tickled pink to be able to do that. But I also understand what you're saying, that you do something and somebody else comes along behind you. And the next thing you know, you've got to go redo it because they thought they were helping out. Mm -hmm. Uh, That happened. And the guy worked at the store and he came in and I said, what the heck is this? And he goes, oh, well, I thought this would be good to go. I said, no. I said, yeah. I appreciate you wanting to help and your initiative, but touch base with me before because I've got to undo yeah. this because this step's got to happen before we do what you did. Oh, sad happened, you know? So look, just touch base with me and uh, it'll be fine. But yeah, sometimes there's a sequence to the process. There was one member, you know, there was one member who really liked like to what and liked to do scenery, but he was large, and so he would do the scenery in the front while okay. I'm trying to hand, while I'm trying to handle a track. So the handle track isn't done and tested and all that other stuff, but he's putting in scenery in front of it instead of working <laughs> on the scenery behind it. He's putting the scenery on in front of it. Yeah, and it's like do that. Well, yeah, but this is what I want to do. But you can't. I'm gonna, and then he'd get mad at you when you wrecked it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like um, the track's not done. The track isn't done, and so until the track is done and troubleshot to make sure that yeah. it's okay, you can't do the stuff in front of it. And yeah, you'd have that constant. Yeah, but this is what I want to do. You know, it's like well, do the stuff behind. I can't do that. Yeah, so, it's uh, you know? yeah. The yeah. first railroad Bob had there was a crawl under. You literally mm-hmm. had to crawl Ooh. on your hands and knees. So when we designed the new one, I said this will be walk around and walk into yeah. just so that stuff can be reached. And oh. here, I mean, even though I've got, I can. Totally closed the doors, opened the doors, and I built uh, takeout sections for the passageways. You know, I go, well, I can just stoop under because it's four foot high. But when I've done this a lot, like last week when I was painting all these boxes, doing all this stuff, my knees that night were going, you will pay. We will Uh hurt you, human. So... (laughs) 
Yeah, so if this new space develops, it will be a walk-into, walk-around railroad. None of this duck-under um, stuff. Yeah, I don't Are you know. thinking like a single <laughs> level, Paul? What's that? A single level walk-in design? Yeah. that's. We had grades and obviously curves. We had valleys and stuff. But we had, the scenery was planned so that it was distinct or at least had a logical transition on both sides at the store. Here, you know, it's it goes around the perimeter of the room, so it's a lot simpler. But when I looked at some of these houses, the first railroad I built in Phoenix was 50 feet long by 11. That was the space. So I did a folded dog bone, and it started out at 50-inch height, and then as it rounded the one curve, it ended up dropping 10 inches over the next 35 feet and then ran under itself. So it was like a big folded dog bone and then came back out and then went the climb, went up through the mountains and stuff. I did it shallow relief so that I could reach in to do the rocks, to do the trees and stuff like that. So planning on, you know, how you want to get at it and stuff like that influences how you use the space. Here, to protect the walls, all these modules are off the walls. One, they're freestanding, but they're off the wall by six inches. That way I don't have to worry about stuff accidentally banging up the paint that's then got to be touched up and this and that. And six inches on the side is just inconsequential on the, uh, the railroad when it's covered by scenery anyway. Are you rent? Are you are you are you renting where you're at? Are you? No, own no, it? we we own a home. Oh, okay. Because that 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 is that is it. But yeah, for those for those listening in, yeah, if you're renting, this yeah. is definitely like this is definitely a good idea. Oh, because because you, yeah, because you don't want to screw up the walls. Oh, that's right. You don't want to be driving anchors and stuff in there. Yeah. And all of these these are two by four module and if i have to break this down like to move it to a new place or so forth yes yeah, some some of the scenery i'm going to lose others i take off and then once the tops are off these and the legs are off you just pick them up and carry them down the stairs because that's how i got them up here i built them in the living room carried them up here laid them on the floor drove the uh, craig screws in for all the legs and stuff turned them up and put the top on them it was very simple and because they were only two foot by four foot, they didn't weigh a ton of uh, ton of weight. But I planned it that way so that, you know, I made it easy on my back and knees. So you also have a head start over there with, uh, you know, if you have to move it into a potential rental space, you know. Yeah, right. I'll go back to the same guy. This gentleman's in Florida. And he does standards and he'll even do custom. And I will buy as many modules as I need. Because I don't own the saws. Uh, my neighbor does. He's got a woodwork shop. But then I've got to worry about how do I transport it in two small convertibles, neither of which can carry something much bigger than a pair of skis. So if I have this stuff just shipped there, I can drag it in and put it together. And I don't have all of the effort of cutting, drilling, routing. I mean, it, it was well worth, I think I paid $570 for 
all the woodwork and legs and everything that's in this 13 by 14 room. I found it to be one whale of a bargain versus having done it the other way, like at the store and for my own, when I did have sauce and stuff. I went, yeah, it's a little more expensive, but boy, I saved a ton of time and this guy's dimensions are just dead nuts on. So, so it's the question, the question, the question that you ask yourself is yeah. one, one, how much is the material? Mm-hmm. And then two, specifically, how much is my time worth? Exactly. If you figure, if you figure a low number, yeah, some people, you know, a low number is twenty five dollars an hour. Yeah, the time is worth about twenty five dollars an hour. Low yeah. on the low end. There are some people that make a lot more money than that, but okay, say twenty five dollars an hour if you're free time. Yeah. So materials cost X. Your time costs Y. How much would it cost you to build it? Not including the tools. <laughs> Not including mm-hmm. the tools to build it, but how much would the, and it probably ends up being about the same as if you did it yourself. It took the first six months at the store. I didn't have any help, but I made a fixture. I made a fixture so that when we pre-cut all this wood to set dimensions, anybody could come along, pick up board A, lay it in the fixture. Here's the clamps, clamp it. Here's the end. Clamp it, and everything would then be uh, plumb level square in position to have screw holes drilled. And so I would, I could put together in four hours. I could put, you know, four or five of these together, set them aside, and then come back and do the legs and stuff like that. Here was much much easier. So Jim just went away. Uh oh. He may have lost his signal. Yeah. But yeah, here he's back. Okay. But yeah, you're right, Jim. It's uh, figuring your time. And you guys are young. I don't have forever to build this railroad. <laughs> but no, so. I'm, saying, I'm saying figuring your time, it probably yeah. is not that expensive. Oh, versus buying on the outside? For, yeah, for, for, yeah. Yeah. Versus buy, what, what you're doing is, you're, is you're, cha- you're changing time for money. So you have to look at it because wood's not cheap particularly the wood they're probably using. Wood isn't cheap. Your time isn't cheap. And then if you get good tools that actually do a good job, those aren't cheap either. So so, so it probably, you think a good, not a, not, not a cheapo, but a good compound miter saw, which is probably yeah. what you need, is anywhere of 500 bucks. So a good one, not just, not just the miter saw, but a good right. one is between four and $500. So, okay. So, and, you know, it's not like got to go buy locomotives and cars. I don't know what I'm going to do with all this stuff anyway. I've thought about, you know, setting up an eBay thing and starting to thin the herd because really I don't, you know, how it is. We just collect stuff over the years. Oh, yeah. We buy it and we buy it. Next thing you know, you got 80 locomotives and 500 cars. Why? I mean, that's, that's the, the, yeah, that, that's the Why? good thing. The good thing about Proto 48 is um <laughs> it, well no no honestly is you can't go crazy i mean there are some people who have but i'm not in the position to do that so i'm probably going to have what five locomotives yeah and then you know i have all you know i have the cars that i have and i probably won't buy anymore who knows i probably will but you know if atherin starts coming out with those ps5344s so i'll have to buy a bunch <laughs> um, so I will have to buy a bunch after all me my ragging of Chris on 
Uh, <laughs> That's right. You'd have to buy guilty <laughs> if you didn't. Um, you, know, you, you know, so you're kind of, I mean, there's a good thing and, you know, there's good and bad with this. I mean, so like when things come up and they say, hey, I've got a Proto 48 X and Y, you scoop it up. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, somebody was selling a, a division point RDC for $950. Yeah. Pro, but already converted to Proto 48. When you go to BrassTrains.com and they sell those for nine hundred and fifty dollars, not con- not converted to Proto 48. <laughs> so wow! Like, yes, sir. Take my money. <laughs> <laughs> um, Making it rain. <laughs> yeah, because I bought a you know I bought a um, uh, an Atlas GP GP sixty Atlas O GP sixty. And spent seven hundred and fifty dollars to have it converted to Proto Forty Eight. So it's not a a. I can't even imagine how much it's going to cost to do a steam locomotive. Okay. But um, you know, I could look at the layout that I'm planning, that I'm thinking of having. An RDC is a real is a neat thing to have because you can have it shuttling back and forth while you're running your trains. So you have your passenger service while your trains are running. Um, and you know, hey, shoot, for the same price, I get one that's Proto Forty Eighted. Shazam! So, but then, then I can look at something. Oh man, that's really cool. How much is it? X. Yeah, but then I'm going to have to spend this much much money to Proto Forty Eight it. I'm good. <laughs> Not today. So it really. Now, do you enjoy doing that though? Uh, doing what? Proto Forty Eighting stuff. Yeah. Oh no no no! I I do I am not a machinist. Okay. So I have. I have an SW9 that an Atlas SW9 that was pro, that I proto 48 myself, but that was because you used to be able to get the parts from North, Northwest Shortline to do it. Okay. You, just, you pull the you pull the axles out, put the new ones in, boom, you're done. Essentially, you could leave it that way. But what ends up happening is uh, most of the Atlas equipment, the side frames are too far apart. So when you put in the, the proto 48 wheel sets, it looks ridiculous. Oh, on, okay. So you end up having to narrow the side frames as well. So the problem with a steam locomotive is not only do you have to change the wheel sets and the, the sides of the wheel sets, but now the, the cylinders are too wide. Everything's too wide. Everything on the locomotive is too wide. So it's not a simple, you know, it's not a simple process to proto 48 a steam locomotive. It can get okay. quite, quite pricey if you want to do it right. I don't mind proto 48ing rolling stock is not too bad. I do that. That that costs money too. I mean the the amount of money that it costs to proto 48 a piece of equipment is essentially about the same price as the car. So, yeah, yeah. Cars if the car is 60 bucks it costs about $60 to proto. Yeah, because company, you know, you know big and Atlas, you know, Atlas all I says, I'm not asking for Proto 48 equipment. Can you just make the trucks in Proto 48? It does not going to cost you that much more money. And you could just sell the trucks. You know, just sell a version of your trucks that's Proto 48ed. You, you know, with Proto 48 wheel sets. And they've even said, the Atlas guys have told me that's not a big deal. And you'd sell them. You know, they just sell the trucks, the Proto 48 trucks, so that you could just pop them on their equipment. Because Atlas stuff is beautiful anyway. So do I enjoy it? You have to do it. I don't mind it, but it's something you have to do. Um, and once it's done, it's done. So it's it's like I, I kind of put the same view of that as when I was doing the uh, brick patios. Yes, it takes a lot of time to do mm-hmm. brick pavers, yeah. but once you once you do it and you take your time and you do it right, it's there for twenty, thirty years, and you're never going to have any issues with it. Uh, if you rush it just to get it done, 
you'll be fixing it in two years. Well, and maybe we've discussed this once before, but couldn't you do your own trucks with a 3D printer? Um, actually, believe it or not, the way that I do my trucks with printing them and the wheels I have to buy, unless I, you know, got them mass produced somehow, and I don't know how I would do that. And even then, it's not much cheaper. Um, with the wheel sets, the roller bearings and everything, and even getting them 3D printed, it's about 50 bucks a truck. Oh, okay. You know, so if somebody's selling them, for, you know, if I can get a, or maybe $45, it may be you know, it's between forty and forty-five dollars for me to get to do it. For stuff that you know, for somebody to buy my parts plus the wheels and everything, it ends up being fifty, sixty bucks. And so, if I can buy roller bearing trucks for fifty bucks, it's it's worth the, you know, it would be worth my time to just buy the truck. You know, because it takes time to build the essentially a truck kit. Okay. To assemble a truck kit and you know make it, you know, it is probably it's worth my time to just buy a 40 or 50 dollar truck because that's what they end up being is 50 bucks minimum i have bought some beautiful roller bearing trucks protocraft uh i had them out and they all sold out 65 dollars a pair roller bearing trucks but they had you know if the roller bearing truck had eight springs per side the truck has eight springs roll you know actual roller bearings for the wheels and some beautiful mm-hmm. cool, gorgeous trucks but at $65 a pair, um, it's a little painful. Okay. Did the, were they friction bearing or, uh, or no, standard bearing. bearing or roller? Did you have no. rotating caps? Oh, yeah. And they no, were wrong, too. Oh, yeah. No, no. The, uh, the $65 ones uh, from Protocraft, when I say, you know, if you look at a real roller bearing truck, you, you, see, three, you see three springs on the outside, but there's actually, each truck has about, eight springs or more yeah. per truck per purse per, per side frame. There's three on the outside, three on the inside and between two and four on the, in the middle. So these, um, hundred ton roller bearing trucks had a minimum of six springs on them per side. Okay. Per side. Yeah. So it wasn't like, you know, the standard truck you'd get from anybody where you have three springs on the outside, this was as many springs as the truck is supposed to have it has. Well, I bet that also made it look like, sometimes with sprung trucks in HO, they look kind of thin because, yes. you know, those little springs and that's it. If there's dimension yeah. to it beyond just yeah. those springs, it'll make it look, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the things that I did for my truck is I actually had a, um, which is the same thing that goes with, the Atlas O trucks are not sprung. Okay, so they've got separate springs on them, but they are not sprung. They're actually screwed together, so they don't they don't articulate. But you can see through, like you say, they look kind of airy because there's only three th- three springs on the outside, so you can see right through them. Uh, on my trucks, I sold a separate piece that were that was essentially just three three D printed cylinders to put in the back. So it gave the illusion of depth. They, there uh-huh. wasn't really a lot of detail in them because you, you can't see it. You couldn't see the detail anyway. So there was really no reason to put in the detail. Okay. Yeah, that makes you know, sense. You know, you just have a black piece in behind there. The, in reality, on the Atlas trucks, if you just take a piece of, you know, 
black electrical tape and put it in the back, it makes a big difference because then you can't see through the side frame. Okay. Yes. Small thing. Well, in um, no scale, it's a big thing because you can see it, you know? Right. Yeah. You can kind of get away with it in HO, but, um, and I wouldn't, on, with roller bearing trucks, I just, you know, if a car comes and it doesn't have roller, you know, spinning axle caps, those trucks are coming off. Sorry. <laughs> Period. They're going to get so, replaced at one point or another. Well, what, about, what, about what height do you have the top of your layout then, Jim? Oh. Is it sort of like eye level is what I'm getting at? Yeah, it's going to be around like, I, I don't, I haven't measured it at this point, but it's around 48, 50 inches. Yeah, getting close to high level then. Yeah, yeah. that's that stuff's just going to show up a lot more. Yeah. I, I'm not really into bending way down to work on stuff. So, oh, yeah, I agree with that. There's a whole lot of spikes I have to drive working on it when it's, yeah, there's just way too much going on there. And there, there's some things I want to do. I want to I want to try to make it so it pivots up so you can get at the underside of it each module so and the space i have underneath this room is about 12 by 26 give or take um not huge but big enough big enough to run something yeah you know um it's a, you know a little bit bigger than a four by eight when i say that i mean obviously eight by 16 the layout that i'm planning on doing is is a is a sort of a copy of a um an eight by 16 proto 48 layout that i saw done by jim Cantor. Uh, but I'm going to add uh, staging yards on each on each end, and instead of having the um, really tight curves, I think I'm going to make like five foot radius curves, which is fairly tight, but it's not as bad as you know whatever it was. It's like 24 inch radius curves on the original, um, which the trains go around because you don't have a big, you don't have large wheelbase units running on it. Right. But when you have really tight tolerance on the couplers and stuff like that, it can the, the cars can get pulled off. Oh, yeah, so, definitely. Same thing happens on real ones because I've had it happen. So. <laughs> going the on, trials going and tribulations, you know, of uh, the real railroads. Yeah, going I'm working a, them. Yeah, going around a curve with, a, with an 89-foot flat coupled to a 52-foot gondola on a really tight curve in an industrial area in Boston came off the tracks. Thankfully I caught it before it went into the crossing because we would have derailed right over a railroad crossing in the middle of town. Don't. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The train master came and said, yep, you probably saved a huge, huge problem. Yeah, <laughs> but the uh, yeah the, the engineer thought I had speared a truck on the highway. So because as they're coming along, I'm looking underneath the cars and I'm like, that doesn't look right. Oh my god, they're on the ground! Stop, stop, stop! And he dumped it. I didn't say dump it, which is what you're supposed to say. Uh, I just said stop, stop, stop. Whoosh! He dumped it. He came back and he said, I thought you speared a semi. <laughs> That's what I thought. Oh. Or we were about to, because I I was out I was out protecting the crossing is what it was. I'm protecting the crossing, and so he thought that somebody had come, even though I'm standing in the street. Because I said what I said was I said you know crossing is clear, it's protected, keep coming, stop, stop, stop. So he thought we were like ramming a semi. Oh goodness! People people would do that. You're standing in the middle of the street with a flag and everything. You keep coming anyway, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 
Yeah, it was hours getting that thing back on the track. Oh my goodness! Oh, so what they end up <laughs> used to do it? Huh? Uh, did they use like a a few cranes to to lift it oh, back god. up? Or no, good god, no, no. It was on a, the old school, you know, rocks re-railer. Oh, okay. You know, just 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 a re-railer. But what they were doing is they were trying to shove it. So we spent hours trying to get this thing back on, and they were trying to shove it. And as they were shoving it, they're they keep going around the corner that caused the problem in the first place. Oh no. So like after two or three hours, they said, well, maybe we'll pull it backwards. Clunk. Oh yeah. Hey, I was getting paid overtime. I didn't care. (laughs) So what did the rail spread or something? No. Um, what happens is the, um, is because you're the, the, the rule says you're not supposed to couple a 89 foot flat to a gondola with a with a short um because of the swing of the coupler right and and what will happen is is the gondola just it can't turn you know you, the, the the coupler is pushing it off the track so what right. it was happening is the further around the corner you go we went the more the gondola was being pushed off oh. so but if you if you went backwards, now you're going back around the corner and the curve is the curve is getting slighter. So now yeah. it can pop back on. But you're not supposed right. now you could put two gondolas next to each other and go around that corner. But not not the big the eighty nine foot flat cars. This was a work train. We were picking up we were spreading ballast and I think we were we were doing ballast. We were ballasting this one section and just part of the work train was an 89-foot flat car with a crane on it, with a the crane they were using to pick up the, the uh, with a burrow crane to pick mm-hmm. it up, or an excavator. It had an excavator on it to pick up the ties. And oh, okay. And the, the gondola had the, t- the old ties in it. So that's so, funny. That's kind of ironic that it would be a work train that derails, creating more work. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's funny because the way it works is, you know, you're talking to the engineer and the the um, the guy on the ground who's trying to re-rail you, the, the foreman who's trying to re-rail you, you're the conductor and he's telling you, tell him to come ahead 12 inches. Literally, it's like so uh, you know, and he said, he says, come ahead three inches. <laughs> And the engineer came back. What does he want? Do you want me to get the micrometers out or what? This isn't. He says, I don't have that type of control. Is he crazy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell him to come ahead three inches slow. What? <laughs> How's he going to come ahead three inches fast? You know? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No, it was funny. It's like this type of you. You're you're asking for this type of precision, which trains just don't give you. <laughs> yeah, and ESU doesn't make uh, prototype decoders, so you don't have that motor control. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, yeah, it was pretty funny. It was. I mean, it was an interesting day. I ended up, even though we, even though we had a derailment, I ended up because of because of everything that had happened. I, you know, the train master came and t- asked me who who told you to make the train up this way because it's my responsibility. Um, and I said the uh, foreman had me he says the train was made up the foreman had me shove it around this corner okay no problem 
you're you're good. Okay, thanks. So, yeah, it was not my responsibility because I was just following the orders of the foreman who was in charge. So, and it wasn't, you know, if, like I said, it, it, w- this whole thing would have been rectified in about fifteen minutes if they'd gone the other direction. <laughs> Because it was like zip, it was right on the rails. As soon as we, as soon as we pulled out of the curve, it was like zip. Oh well, I guess we won't go any further around this corner then. Wow, that's a great idea. Trials and tribulations of the railroad. Of the real railroad, yes. Of the, of the real railroad, prototype railroad. Oh, I know, I, I know, I know. I was going to ask you before, before you get before you get there. Are you going to uh, Cocoa Beach, Chris, or no? I won't be going to Cocoa Beach. But I will see you in Springfield. Springfield. Yeah, yeah I'm going to be going to Cocoa Beach and um, going to spend a little uh, the next, the following weekend. I'm going to be in Disney and I'll be able to go to that the Disney room with the Carolwood Pacific room. And so uh, take a look at that. Um, I don't know if I, I didn't post, I don't know if you all saw that they, um, the Disney, the Disney Family Museum moved a bunch of his uh, equipment. No, yeah, I didn't see that. It, yeah, they moved it. They had they showed pictures of the caboose, mm-hmm. the Calwood Pacific Goose that I have the old scale version of. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And MTH did an awesome job. Actually, it looks really like exactly the same. Well, speaking of Disney, I saw the photo of your locomotive mm-hmm. after you got all the striping decals and stuff on it. Yep, looked really good. Thank you. Yeah, it looks sharp, Jim. I'm I'm really impressed with that. Bill Brillinger did a nice job with those decals. So, this, uh, so he does uh, whatever you want, right? He's Bill's yes. doing custom decals. Yeah, he does custom decal work. That was sixty-five bucks for the for him to do the design, for him to do the design and send me the decals was sixty-five dollars. Okay. So I gave him some ideas. I gave him the exact you know because I got my chronometers and everything. So I was able to give him the exact measurements of the locomotive. I said I basically want it to look like a Southern Pacific. I want it to look like a Southern Pacific, the Southern Pacific, the Southern Pacific version of this. But I wanted to say Carrollwood Pacific, and instead of having the silver end, I want the striped end. So okay. he he did a bunch of other stuff and he gave me a bunch of extra. Detail. I have enough decals actually that I could probably do. Uh, if I wanted to go crazy, I could do. Uh, if you remember that that. Um, the rail gone that I'm working on. Um, oh yeah, I was actually I was actually thinking of lettering that for the Cowwood Pacific. It, I the uh, symbol and everything would fit. So oh how cool. Um, yeah, I thought so. That might be might be neat to do. And he said that he would finish the decal so I could have numbers and stuff like that because I obviously don't have the correct you know the the scale weights and all that the the extra the extra lettering that you've got to do on do on a car like that. So. He'd have to he'd have to do that up, but he does a great job. I'd highly recommend him. Yeah, it looks great, Jim. Thanks. Uh, probably I want to um once I get a bunch of other lo- I have some other locomotives I want to convert and stuff like that. But my thought on my layout was to have the Carrollwood Pacific be a kind of a subsidiary of Southern Pacific. Yes. So have a have a bunch of kind of eclectic, you know, RS eleven, RS three, GP nine, some of that. And then have them interchange with Southern Pacific. Have the GP60 come in and deliver some cars. And oh, then, yeah, definitely. And then, and then leave, and then the, the Carolina Pacific will do all the switching on the layout. 
I mean, it doesn't mean you can't run the GP60 around the layout, obviously, but have the, you know, have it come in, deliver some cars for the, the Carolwood, and then um, Carolwood does the switching on the layout, and then have maybe the RDC uh, re-letter that for Carolwood Pacific. Have have Carolwood Pacific doing the you know the local commuter runs. You know, Southern Pacific did have a RDC. I don't. You know, I know they did, and I don't know whether the one I have is it's either Southern Pacific or no, it's New York Central. Oh, uh, there you go. But um, you know, so I do know they had one, and I've seen it. I've seen one of those, the model, I mean. mm-hmm. and um, but I happen to have a New York Central one. So, like I said, I you know, it was Proto Forty Eight already. I wasn't going to argue. <laughs> um, so I definitely, you know, the extra sixty-five dollars I can re-letter it for Carol oh, yeah. or Southern Pacific or something like that. Oh, sure. You know, I mean, obviously GP sixty, it's relatively modern. But I, I'm figuring, you know, if the Carolwood Pacific is, you say, you know, the Disney was the driving force behind it in the first place, he'd be one to have a bunch of older locomotives because <laughs> he liked them. Because mm-hmm. uh, he liked them, and he likes this paint. You know, you could do. You know, you could do another paint. Like I don't know, if, interesting story about his. And I may have said this before, but when you go on the the trains of Disney tour, when you go to Walt Disney World, you buy all sorts. Of, it's a cool tour. Any model railroader, any rail fan should go on it because it's it's interesting. And when they were building his model railroad, so his live steam railroad at his house. He he said, I want this S-curve, and his wife didn't want to see it. So he had a tunnel that went under, went under his wife's rose garden. <laughs> and so he said, this is going to be cool. You're going to go in, and there's going to be an S-curve, so there's going to be a period of time where you're in complete darkness. And that's what he wanted. It was cool. Um, he wanted to have that experience of going into a tunnel and not being able to see the end. Mm-hmm. And so the, the story goes that the contractor came in and said, you know, this is going to be really expensive. And, you know, it'll be a lot cheaper if we just make a straight tunnel. We can do it. It'll be a piece of cake. And apparently what Disney it says, wow, that's a great idea. It would be a lot cheaper uh, to build a straight tunnel. But can I ask you a question? Sure. Who's paying you? Um, I'm paying you and I want an S curve and <laughs> I don't, I don't care how much it costs. Build me my S curve. It's like Jurassic park. Spare no yeah. expense. Yeah. That's like, I don't care. I want my tunnel. I don't care how much it costs. <laughs> and by the way, I'm paying you to do it. So what difference does it make? But yeah, the reason, yeah, the whole reason for the tunnel and the S curve was because his wife didn't want to see it. She wanted a rose garden, so get both. <laughs> but it, it was also that tunnel that ended up him that made he the reason that he made um, Disney Disneyland because of that tunnel. Um, believe it or not, is because the he had that live steam railroad for three and a half years, and they would always derail in the tunnel. It, well, always it wasn't always, but it was not infrequent to derail in the tunnel and one day um they you know one of the visitors their young daughter was there and she heard they heard the commotion and she ran down to see what had happened and she ran by the locomotive and she 
you couldn't see it, but it was a steam jet coming off the side of the locomotive and she got really badly burned. Oh. And at that day he said, no more. I don't ever want anybody to get hurt on any, any attraction or thing of mine. So yeah, he, he, he closed it down. Um, but that's why it's so safety conscious and all that other stuff. But it's also fascinating that with Disneyland, I'm pretty sure I've told this before, but with Disneyland, one company owned Disneyland, the park, and another company owned the trains. And he was the other company that owned the trains because if Disneyland ever failed, he would still own the trains. And so That's interesting, Jim. Yeah, he had set it up that way. But also because of Disneyland, if you if you if you look at Disneyland, you, you the trains are a lot more dimin, diminutive. Whereas at Disney World they look like big honking train. They're big trains. Right. Um is Disneyland, those are those locomotives were professionally privately built for Disney. So they were they made them. They made the locomotives so they were small and and when it came to Disney World he's like, that's way too much work. Why don't we just go buy some? Yeah, definitely. We we we've got to be able to go buy some. And so they found a bunch of uh um three foot gauge locomotives in the Yucatan. So that's where they found them. They uh-huh. brought him up. Yep, great story. I mean, you learn all you learn all this stuff, um, um, all sorts of fascinating stuff in, at at Disney World. And what really impressed me, and see everything there. Uh, whenever you see anything, there's some connection to some movie somewhere. And um, it was interesting. So I'm standing there with a buddy of mine. Now, some of you are. You know, some people may know that I live in Rentham, Massachusetts. Now, Rentham, Massachusetts is not the biggest town in the world. Nobody knew where it was until they built the stupid outlet mall down the street. And my buddy and I were standing there. We're listening to the tour, and they're telling us about it. And he's standing next to this map, and he says, oh, look, the Boston and Maine. And I looked at it, and I said, no, that's the Boston and one socket. Really old, so like 1840-something. And I said, one socket that's right near where i live and i looked and i said rent them rent them is on the map rent them is in disney world <laughs> nobody knows where <laughs> rent them is it's like this real ring the line that i work on every day the line to franklin the line the, the line franklin was on this map in disney world <laughs> i can't believe this but it has to do with uh, I didn't understand why it was there, but I guess it's some relation to some movie. There's one of the towns, I think Medfield. uh, Somebody in a movie, his last name was Medfield, something like that. And so that's why that map is there. But all sorts of fascinating information, railroad information. And there are at the Boulder Ridge Villas at Dill's Disney Wilderness Lodge. um, They have in the Carrollwood Room they have examples of um, – they have two of Walt Disney's li- actual live steam equipment from the Walt Disney Museum is there. So you can see there – see you know, lots of photos and stuff like that. It's a really nice room to be in, and I guess they've just added uh, – they just finished the uh, Copper Creek Villas or something like that. And so now they have like a little uh, mining – 
it's a theme that the theme of it is the, the like a mining roundhouse or something like that. I haven't seen it yet, but should be interesting. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's a Disney World, right? Disney World in, in Orlando. Yep. The, uh, okay. the Disney Wilderness Lodge. If anybody wants to see the Carrollwood room and see, uh, uh, Disney's, um, examples of Disney's live steam car trains and stuff. Um, you go to the villas, which is if you go in the main room, you may not main, um, lobby, you go off, you go past the, um, the gift shop and then you go out to the villas. And when you walk into the villas, you take an immediate, as soon as you go in, you take an immediate right. And that's the Carrollwood room. Really. I mean, it's really, it's very uh, rustic, very, it's a really cool resort anyway, but, um, uh, it's really neat room. It's, um, some, some of the local rail modelers, they'll come there and they'll sit down and model in the room, but the, you know, this tables and the fireplace and real cool seating area and, and wall strain. So very, very cool. Yes. So Chris, what, what, uh, <laughs> so what can, uh, what neat things are coming out of uh, Athern that you can talk about? Well, we just announced the Spirit Locomotive, as you might have seen. But along with that, yeah, marks probably a little bit more significantly and will affect people a little bit more unilaterally is the first announcement of all the diesel locomotives being LED equipped. Oh, really? The 70 ACEs, the SDP40Fs, and then also the ES44 ACs, all of them are now LED equipped. Okay. Uh, we've and 21 kind of... pin, uh, uh, motherboards, too, for the DCC yeah. ready ones. For... Is that better? Sure. Yeah. The, the LEDs are now equipped for the SD70ACE, the SDP40F, but that's that was probably our pilot locomotive with, with uh, LEDs featured as the, the main lighting source. And then uh, the ES44 AC, that's a brand new one. Yeah, that's that's we're really looking forward to rolling in more Genesis projects uh, with these standard. And then also the DCC ready models are coming with a 21 pin NEM plug ready to go for 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 any of the modelers out there that want to install like TCS or. Um, ESU, it'll be a very simple, straightforward process. Okay. Made me think of this the other day when I was organizing. You know, a number of years ago, you guys had the two Genesis Southern Pacific chair cars, beautiful cars. Yeah. Will there ever be any more companion cars come out on that? We're considering that. Um, okay. It, you know, just to make people think, I mean, we do have a lot of passenger locomotives, so. Well, you know what would be a cool car in the Genesis line would be those shop-built Southern Pacific dome cars. Oh, yeah, those domes. Yeah, I had the glass roof, and mm-hmm. uh, that would be very, very unique. You know, something, too, uh, I, I've been looking at it as an SP modeler for more than just passenger or the baggage cars. Oh yeah, you know, those those weird looking sort of shallow roof, smooth, smooth. I think they were smooth side or riveted side baggage cars. 
they ended up a lot of them in maintenance away service. Okay. So, yeah, and and if you look at any of those photos in the 1960s, there they were, you know, right behind the 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 Genesis locomotives would be like a, an an opportunity for like baggage cars and stuff. So, I don't think we're done with passenger. Uh, just there's a lot of projects kind of in in the project mill. Yeah. And it's just a matter of just getting around to all the different things that we want to do as a company. Because I was looking for some of the late 70s and then up through Bob Bardier. Uh, golly. Hi. My mind just went blank. The Uh-oh. tall, <laughs> tall current Amtrak cars. Oh, the Superliners. Superliner, thank you very much. My mind went blank. And so I was looking. I know Walther's made them. They've only got a couple of the coaches and step-down cars in phase one, two, three, or four available. These things are hard to find. Even just finding, you know, the heritage carryover cars from the startup of Amtrak in phase one or two can be a challenge to find out there. You can find old stock at a store or you may have to go to a secondary market like eBay. So right. I've been scouring, scouring here and there to build this uh, high-level train for the SDP-40Fs. Uh, oh, are you talking about like the El Capitan ones? Yes. Well, even, yeah, even the, the earlier ones and the, of the Santa Fe heritage. Yeah, that would be fine too. Because there, in the early months and years, those ran, you know, the Santa Fe markings were still on them, pulled behind the SDP 40Fs. Yeah, the, those those were pretty common on what was called the Southwest Limited, later the Southwest Chief. Yeah. And but in finding fact, uh, any those, of them is hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was kind of looking around on YouTube and I found some good old footage of those things going through like San Bernardino with steam yeah. gassing out on either side. And, you know, they're pulling some of these old Santa Fe high level cars kind of mixed in with some, uh, single level stuff. It was really cool. And there was a, a set of three of those SDPs on there. Yeah. Now one thing that people have a lot of it, they modified Santa Fe did a, uh, Usually it was a dorm, a baggage dorm or some version where it had the bump in the roof to blend with the uh, high-level cars. Right, yeah. It was just sort of like a step-up car. Yes, that yes. had sort of like an aerodynamic wedge. Yeah. In. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can find those uh, in phase one or phase two. It's just, it's just seemed like there was when I was looking for this stuff to build this train I'm going wow, there's not a lot of stuff left available. Unless there are people like me and it's sitting in a box and they've forgotten they've got it. Well, you know, it's something that Ken and I have been talking about too. It's just like there's there's still a lot of open areas in Passenger where I think it's dominated by brass, you know? Yes. So I, I still think that there's opportunities kind of in the in the brass passenger um, realm right now for, you know, for modelers to, you know, uh, 
take what take their old brass cards. I mean, there there's even some where where it's like brass sides, and you got to kind of retrofit it onto a, a plastic. Right, right. We had a uh, one of my friends in Phoenix loved the coach yard. Yeah, which is part of the whistle stop there in Pasadena, and. I had done some DCC uh, conversions into his daylight uh, PAs. And when he got his, okay, somebody's making noise. (laughs) Oh, okay. That I can edit out. Uh, So he got this heavyweight train in. It was like 10 or 11 cars. They were all coach yard. And, he said, would you shoot some video of them at the uh, on the railroad at the store? And I said, sure, bring them over. And th- these cars were just phenomenal. I mean, it was hard to believe I was not looking at a real car. But they were like 800 bucks a piece. This is several years ago. And I went, wow, because I was in coast, or I'm sorry, I was in whistle stop one day when I was over in Pasadena visiting my wife and I saw this supervisor's car sitting there, you know, kind of a shorty with the uh, platform on the end. And I started looking at the detail. Then I saw the price tag of it. And this is 2014, 2013 was, I think $575. And I went, you know, I would spend that amount of money to have one of those cars. They would, oh, they would beautiful. Oh, I went, okay. My luck, I would drop it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when that, when that happens and uh, it's just a box of plastic cars, it's the damage is easier to repair sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's also knowing that, on plastic that there might be a, a few more than, than brass, so brass, yes, cars, yes. you know, one of 30, another one. you know? <laughs> yes. I was uh, going through, I had a couple Walther's uh, cars, not heavyweights, but uh, lightweight passenger cars that would not traverse this crossover. And so as I'm playing around with it, looking at it, you know, Walther's uses those little bump out, uh, metal pieces that rub against the screws on the trucks for the electrical flow to if you put a lighting kit in it. And depending upon how that individual car's little rub strip has been put in, it can actually impede the pivoting of the truck. So I went, okay, I don't have lighting kits in in there. So I took the truck off and filed down a little bit. Those screws, they're just Phillips head screws that hold the bolsters the side frames to the bolster and also then transmit the power up and I ended up taking the little metal strips out and I had some really thin plastic and I just kind of like covered it and all of a sudden these things quit hanging up and they would track through but you know it's just those little things you get you got to take time sometimes and find out the cause of the problem and then it's a fairly straightforward fix. Now, if I wanted to put lighting in them, I'd have to, I'd probably use uh, axle wipers or something like that and come up, Tomar and a number of people uh, 
make those that are less intrusive on how it uh, tracks through. Even the BLI cars, the way they pick theirs up, I've never had a problem there, but it's, uh, yeah, it's amazing. But if I drop one of those cars, like you say, I can probably find a replacement if I fatally injure it. Unlike right. the $800 car. Wow. <laughs> that would me up at night. I'd have to put padlocks on this door out here when the grandkids are here. <laughs> Keep them from wandering in and playing with pop-up strains. Otherwise, your, your brass car could end up in the recycle bin. Oh, Golly. Well, and the other thing is, all my tools are out, and you don't want a five-year-old grabbing a hold of an exacto knife. No, no, that, that's that's fatal, too. Yeah, so, yeah, I I put the child-proof locks on. So, all right, what else do we have to talk about? We've been doing, got a good show going here. Okay, well, it's been a good flow today. I think yeah. uh, the, uh, yeah, we're getting ready to break another thousand mark on the uh likes on the facebook page oh we are yes uh jim people like uh your recent uh series and chris we're still getting a lot of comments on your remotoring and people are looking forward to your videos yeah the first video i'm gonna try to lay down my vocals on tonight yeah. So then I can go outbound with it. Um, pretty much everything else is edited together. Yeah. I have it all roughed out. And then the second one, I want to do the lifelike GP9 because I think there's a, a lot of guys out there trying to figure out a way forward with with that, you know. Okay. So we'll see. Well, but we are getting uh, – I can't find my phone, but I would look it up and see uh, – the likes have just really been growing it's consistent wait a minute it's coming up yeah we're at uh fact we have we've gone over 2000 no nice. kidding yeah we're just shy of 2100 cool a lot of comments uh and shares two shares four comments on the 1943 video <laughs> Oh, yeah, I threw that out there. It was yeah. kind of funny that that locomotive was over in Bloomington, and I just so happened to be going past it on the train. I'm like, oh, okay. And then then I found out that the Spirit locomotive was going to be numbered 1943, and I was kind of going like, wait a second. Yeah. I remember yeah, an SP locomotive numbered 1943, so I was hustling through all my my footage and sure enough there it was there <laughs> it was yes so funny uh i like the weathering job on uh on the other one that's oh, yeah. southern pacific that is well worn yes it is it's yeah. the true spirit of union pacific in my mind all right well then this has been well, a good if, session if it ain't broke don't paint it yep yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> that's right I'll whereas, probably have this up to Joe sometime this week. Whereas on CSX, ah, we'll put we'll slap the magic paint on it and we won't fix it. If it's broke, paint it. <laughs> and then the magic paint fixes everything. Why yeah. does the why does the uh, third notch still doesn't work? Work. Don't worry about it. It's got new paint. Yeah, it's got new paint and it looks good. Uh, oh yeah. 
until you work in in a condition like that that it's that is frustrating. Oh yeah. It's like yeah, like they, they send it there and it's like uh, you know you're not supposed to fix stuff. You're actually supposed to fix these things. A GP40 is easy to fix. Pull out the module, put in a new one. Yeah. And it works. Like that's all. All you got to do is put in a new third notch. It's not complicated. It's got to be a lot more uh, less time consuming than painting, oh, masking, yeah. and painting. Uh, yeah, you think? Yeah, it seemed like yeah they would never fix anything. It would just come back repaint. <laughs> <laughs> it's the magic paint. Oh yes. Hey, thanks a lot. Okay, gentlemen, have a good week. 